You are listening to Paragon Church and Sunday, February 16th, week three of Shape, Personality. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. But today, as you may know, through the month of February, we've been going through this thing called Shape. And Shape is how God made you on purpose for a purpose. And what does that purpose look like in your life? And your purpose is different than mine. And SHAPE is an acronym, and it says S, spiritual gifts. H, heart and passion. A, your abilities. And then we have our P, which is our personality, which we'll be talking about today. And E, experiences. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, all we've talked about so far in the month of February is the S, spiritual gifts, and the H, your heart. Why are we jumping to P? Well, that's because you're a type A personality, and you're wondering why we're not going in order. But the reason for it is because abilities and experiences can kind of tie together. So we're going to do that next week. So actually, we're not doing shape. We're doing chape. So it's okay, though. It's okay. You're going to get through it. I promise we're going to make it. Now, as we're doing this, we want you to know the purpose that God created us for. And your purpose and my purpose, if you were here last week, are the same. And that purpose is to glorify God with our lives, how we live for him, how we serve him, and then how we serve others. That plays a huge role in all of this. However, in shape, you'll know that you are shaped different than I am. You have different spiritual gifts than I do. You have a different heart and passion than I do. You have a different ability set than I do. You have a different personality than I do, and you have different experiences that have shaped your life than I do. Now, maybe we have a few things in common, but you have been made unique by God and for God. And I'm not going to pull any punches today. I'm going to tell you this right now. The reason why we're doing shape tests is I want you to know why you were made by God and for God, because I want to see people take that next step in their faith journey with Jesus, and I believe that shape is going to do it. And that while we're all different, there's two things that I can say for certain in it all. And the first one is this. We all have a place in the body of Christ. And as I say, we all have a place in the body of Christ. Paul uses the body of Christ often throughout Scripture to talk about who we are. That the hand is going to be different than the foot, and the foot is going to be different than the spleen, and the spleen is going to be different than, than the neck. All the different things. We all serve a purpose. And when your body is functioning right, you know it. But when your body isn't functioning right, you also know it. And so that's why part of the reason why we're doing it. And the second thing, even though we are all created differently, we're all created for the same goal, and that is to glorify God. So today, we're going to talk about personality. And as we talk about personality, we're going to talk about how personality fits into what God has made us to be for him. And as we look at personality, we're going to approach it a little bit different than normal today. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to put application into practice during the sermon. Normally, as you guys leave, I say, hey, make sure you apply this in your life. Because it's not just good to hear it on Sunday, but to go do it on Monday through Saturday as well. Today, we're going to do it during the sermon. And what we're going to do is we actually are going to tag team the sermon today. Keith Williams, who started us off with spiritual gifts back in the beginning of February, is going to come up and wrap up the message as I start the message. And the reason why I say we're going to put it into practice is, is that Keith's personality is maybe 100% different than mine. I mean, we might be polar opposites, yet we are called to do the same thing. Keith has been a pastor since before I was born, and so... To be able to say, hey, we're going to come together and do what God's called us to do in using our spiritual gifts, in using our heart, in using our abilities and passion and purpose and personality and experiences. We just want to show you how it works and how it's supposed to work inside the church. Now, as we move, I want to be honest with you. This was a difficult sermon to nail down. Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's no verses that talk about personality in the Bible. And because there's no verses, that means there's no passages to talk about personality in the Bible. So how do you approach this when there's nothing really there that's in the middle of it all? And then I began to think this. Did you know that if you Google how many different people 
are mentioned in the Bible, you'll get a various bunch of answers, but most of them are over 3,500. So I'm just going to tell you, because nobody could quite nail it all the way down, there's over 3,500 people mentioned in the Bible. And you know what each one of those 3,500 people have? A personality. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with Adam, and we're just going to roll through everybody's personality. It's going to be a real long morning. That's where the tag team's going to come in. He's going to do half the names. I'm going to do the other half. It's going to be real fun. Get ready for that, okay? No, actually, what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on a couple of those people and their personalities as we look at how they fit into the story of God. And I say story of God literally because they're in Scripture, they're in the Gospels, as well as they fit into the story of God because God has a plan for each and every one of us for us to fit into his story. But before we get too far down that, I think we need to define what personality is. As I say, define what personality is, it's a little bit of a jumbled mess because nobody can quite nail down what personality is. As a matter of fact, I spent time this week looking at different psychologists over the last 100 years trying to define what personality is. And each one of them had some variation of something here or there in it all. And so what I did is I took Matt's simple definition coming off of the Latin word persona. Now, the Latin word persona is all about this. It's a theatrical word, meaning a mask worn by performers in order to either project different roles or disguise their identity. That is where we get personality from. So with that as the baseline, and all of these guys having all of these different definitions, this is Matt's simple definition, being the uneducated, ordinary man that I am. So is this, typical, constant, or maybe natural pattern of thought, feelings, behavior, as well as reactions to life that make a person unique. All of us think differently, we react differently, we feel differently, and we react into things that happen in life differently. And that is what makes up our personality. Now, we have to make sure we understand personality is what's on the outside. It's what people see. It's what people understand about us. It's how we interact with other people. And we say that for this reason because sometimes we get personality and character crossed. But character is who we are on the inside. It's who we really are. Personality is kind of how we display it to the world. Our personalities are shaped like, by things like genetics. There are things like our environment, the environment we grew up in being parented by certain parents or the culture that we surrounded ourselves with. It, it shapes our personality. And in our experiences in life, we'll talk more about that next week, also shape our personality. And, and here's the thing. There's not really a wrong personality. Now, there's a wrong personality. Maybe for you, there's somebody who might rub you the wrong way. There might be somebody who says things, does things, and you're like, Ugh. and it might be the person you're married to, because that seems to be the people we always get together with, or the people who are exact opposite with us in personality. But here is where we have to see this. There's no real wrong personality, but we can act them out wrong. We can use that as our excuse for why we do what we do, and, and kind of lump that into that, well, I can't change, this is who God made me to be, and, and there's a lot of that that goes on out there. The truth is, with personality, there's natural ones, and there's ones we try and force. Hence the reason why I had you write your name two different times with two different hands. Your first one, you wrote naturally. The second one, you forced. Now, as you forced it, you were able to probably do it, but it didn't feel comfortable. And in the fact it didn't feel comfortable, probably didn't come out as clean. We do that sometimes with our personalities. We try and fit ourselves into a group of people. We try and fit ourselves into what somebody else wants instead of being who God did make us to be and use that for his glory and his honor. So as we are looking at this and as we are reading this and we see the definitions that are out there, you'll see why we have such a hard time nailing it down. On top of that, if you type in personality test in Google, you're going to get hundreds of options to choose from on how to make your personality, how to determine what your personality is. And there's some big ones out there. Some of them are, excuse me, some of them are used in marriage tests. Maybe you took a Myers-Briggs test, and it's the NTSJ, and there's 14 different ones. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But it, there's 16, actually, different ones, four different ways to, to make those letters and, and who makes you and how you can form with somebody else. 
There's another one called the DISC test. And maybe you took that one in your workplace. A lot of times, employers want to see if, if you're high in dominance or if you're high in influence or if you're high in steadiness or if you're high in just being in compliance. You know, those are four different characteristics we have and, and where you fall on the scale. Maybe, like, I'm a high D, high I. So on the scale, there's a circle, and I'll be off high. I'm dominant, and I'm influential when it comes to the test. But maybe you're the opposite of that and how that works in the workplace. Um, there's another one that's getting more and more popular uh, right now. Lots of blogs, lots of podcasts and things about it, but called the Enneagram. And it gives you one of nine numbers. And you fall into one of those nine numbers, and you have this little wing thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. You're not missing out on too, too much. But it is interesting to see who you are. If you've taken our shape test, and I hope you have, it has four things. We're going to call it the zoo. And as a matter of fact, it's the one we're going to focus on today. And, and the zoo is... The lion, the otter, the beaver, and the golden retriever. Now, those actually have words that are associated to them, but they're big scientific words, so I'm just going to leave it as animals because I think each and every single one of us can relate to those animals. And you'll see the grid here. This is kind of how it breaks down. If you are a task-oriented extrovert, you are a lion. If you are a task-oriented introvert, then you're a beaver. And if you're a a people-oriented extrovert, you're an otter. And a people-oriented introvert is a golden retriever. If you were to look at me and you didn't see the email that I sent out this week with my test scores from the shape test, where would you put me at? Well, the whole lion-otter thing fits me very, very well. More otter than lion, but in it, you'll go and see kind of who you are. You don't have to be in one specific category, but you're going to be more of one than another, and there's going to be a blend in there. So as we're looking at this today, I want you to see this, and you'll also see you have a little pamphlet there with a bigger breakdown on who a lion is, who an otter is, who a golden retriever is, and who a beaver is, and kind of how your strengths and weaknesses play in the church. So as we're diving into this, and and as you look at this, you're going to see yourself on the graph somewhere. And before I hand this over to Keith and let him kind of wrap up the, the questions of why is this even important, I want to ask some simple questions to you. And the simple question is, is who are you like with those 3,500 plus characters in the Bible? And you'll see on your note page, it'll say, are you blank like blank? Four times. So the first question I'm going to ask is, are you an otter like Peter? Are you an otter like Peter? And Peter being the apostle, Peter in the Bible, one of Jesus' closest people, when you think of an otter, what is it that you think of? What descriptions, and I'm not talking about person, I'm talking about the actual animal. What descriptions come to mind? Playful, noisy, funny, and fun to watch in a group. I mean, when I go to the zoo, I enjoy going to the otters. I also enjoy going to the penguins who have that same type of thing. They're good in groups. They play all the time. They're always goofing off. And and that's kind of where it falls. But if you look at Peter in the Bible, if you did a life study on him and you saw the things about him, what are some things that would pop into your mind? My guess is inquisitive. He's always asking questions. Spontaneous, optimistic, social, active, risk-taking. I mean, he's the only guy that got out of a boat twice that didn't need to be gotten out of. Fully clothed, one to walk on water, one to go see Jesus, just impulsive in that sort of way, and very talkative. Very talkative. And honestly, when you read the Gospels, I think you get two impressions of Peter. The first impression that we have is that he is impulsive. His character is impulsive. And when you really stop and think about it, he jumped out of those boats. That's one thing. He challenged Jesus. Anybody in here ever challenged Jesus before? Um, you know, he, he spoke out of terms, and at times he seemed to demonstrate more activity and more energy and, and more creativity than was appropriate for the moment. Anybody else fall in line with that? But that same energy and that same crea- creativity really are what are the foundation for what Peter is next, and that is the fact he was the unofficial leader of the disciples. He was the unofficial leader of the disciples. Often he served as their spokesman. He was one out of three disciples in Jesus' inner circle. And after Jesus' departure, guess where the disciples looked? To Peter. They looked 
to Peter to give them direction. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts talks very much about Peter's interaction and leadership in that all. But the funny thing is, is those two things tend to conflict, don't they? At least in our minds they do. A, a, a leader who is, you know, impulsive, that, that's not a good mix all the time. Trust me, I see it in my life every day. And, and the thing is, is as we look at it, you begin to think, Peter, he was always thinking, but he's always thinking towards action. And in that, when he heard a question, you know what he immediately thought? Well, I've got to answer it. When he heard a problem, you know what he immediately thought? I've got to solve it. When he heard the word solution, he had encounters with options. Let's just make a decision. But he also demonstrated the unfortunate side of that same characteristic. I mean, those are good things. But the other side is, when he heard silence, you know what he thought? I need to talk. When he heard disagreement, he said, well, that's a challenge, and I'm going to win. When he heard error, or at least what Peter's perception of error was when he challenged Jesus, he said, you know what? Correction. But whatever the situation, he thought, and that thought inevitably led to action. So my question for you today is, are you an otter like Peter? If you're not an otter, are you, second, a beaver like Martha? A beaver like Martha. See, I was going to go Peter, Paul, then Mary, then Martha, but last week I referenced the police, and I didn't want to do Peter, Paul, and Mary today, so I figured I would just leave that, that, that alone. But last, uh, this time, when we look at Martha, what do you think of when you think of a beaver? You think of dam. You think of busy. You think of big work. As, as we begin to, to look at those things, here's the things that come to mind. They're always working. They're always paying attention. And Martha was a beaver. As a matter of fact, we see Martha three major times in Scripture. One of them is a popular one that we talk about when we talk about, hey, you just need to sit and rest. Martha is the, I don't know, villain in the story maybe. When Jesus corrects her because she's not sitting and resting. Let's read it. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Verse 38, while they were traveling, and they is Jesus' entourage. This is a large group of people. That while they were traveling, he, Jesus, entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And now this is a big deal. Because when you have an entourage, that means they all need to eat, and they all need to have something to drink, and they all need a place to sit. And so she says, I see a need, and I'm going to get it done. Well, guess what beavers do? Exactly that. I see a need, and I'm going to get it done. And she says this in verse nine or verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. See, the one thing we see about Martha is her weakness right away. Because every personality has a weakness. You know what the otter's personality is that has a weakness? They talk too much. That's a bad thing for a preacher, by the way. But the, the thing is, is, you know, as we look at that, the beaver, it's all about the details. It's all about the details. And when the beaver's all about the details, you know what they expect out of every other person? You better be all about the details, too. And, and so when you are not about the details, there's this conflict that happens. And Mary wasn't about the details, but Martha was. And so Martha goes and complains, and Jesus corrects her. And that's the first time we see her. So we immediately see kind of this negative to the beaver, but really the beaver has so many positives to it all. And in it, you'll actually see her shown again in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and this is what it says, six days before the Passover. So this is quite a bit into Jesus' ministry, almost to the end of his ministry. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. And Jesus, who, the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and guess who was serving? Martha. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So they show Martha again serving. She, she's in her element, and this is a good thing. There's not a whole lot said about Martha, like I said, but 
There are things in there that we see, and she's serving behind the scenes. See, the otter is the one who's up front. The beaver sometimes is the one who's in the back, taking care of the details. Funny thing is, I was thinking about this. When you think of Peter, you hear his name a whole, whole lot in the Bible. When you think of Martha, I said she's mentioned three times. Did you know that Peter had a brother? Many of us know that Peter had a brother, and his brother's name was Andrew. Peter was mentioned some guesstimate of 167 times in the Bible. His brother Andrew mentioned eight, maybe nine, depending on which one you look at. Same family, same parents, same environment raised in, but one is the otter, and Andrew is more the beaver. He's the one taking care of the details. But you know one of the main times that Andrew is actually mentioned in the Bible that is during one of Jesus' greatest miracles, is the feeding of the 5,000. See, when all the otters and the lions are out trying to figure out the solution to the whole problem, you know what Andrew does? He goes and finds a kid who has five loaves and two fish and says, this is the best we got. The details, paying attention to the little stuff, working behind the scenes, and God is able to use that and bless it. So don't ever think, well, I'm not an otter, so God can't use me. I'm not a lion, so God can't use me. God has you made for a purpose on purpose. Remember that. So as we switch from otter to beaver, are you a beaver like Martha? Or even more so, are you a golden retriever like Mary? See, the same same people. You have Mary and Martha, sisters, different though. And Mary is one who is just like a golden retriever. Golden retrievers are great, great dogs. They're loyal and they're loving and they're almost too nice. As a matter of fact, I found this quote on the uh, AKC website when it breaks down a golden retriever. Golden retrievers are a classic family companion. They're obedient, playful, intelligent, well-mannered, great with kids and kindly to strangers. They are good watchdogs but make lousy guard dogs as they love people far too much to be effective. When you break into somebody's house as a golden retriever, they're going to be like, hey, you pet me. All right, I like you. You're my favorite friend. And that is the typical golden retriever. And the thing is, we see that even with Mary here. She is so loving and so kind. You find her at the feet of Jesus, as we already read in Luke chapter 10, verse 39. But I stopped in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Martha was serving. Look where we see Mary at in verse 3. It says, then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with fragrance of perfume. Where was she? At Jesus' feet. Where's your golden retriever all the time? At your feet. Sometimes in the way, but most of the time, just there. Martha is working and serving. Mary is listening. But guess what she's also doing? She's responding with her gift and with her personality. Deep, thoughtful, low-key, loyal, willing, patient, good listeners, concerned, and quiet. Are you a golden retriever like Mary? So if you're an otter and you're a golden retriever, you woof right now. Woof, yeah, I'm a golden retriever. That, that would be the mentality, but the quiet stays back. Are you a golden retriever like Mary? And the last person lions. Are you a lion like Paul? A couple weeks ago, we were doing a lion's den back in the back with the kids. Well, we did it in here as well. But as we did it, one of the things that we read about was that a lion's roar can be heard from up to five miles away. Quite the opposite of a golden retriever. The quiet versus the loud. Did you know that a, a lion will eat 15 pounds of meat every day and they don't chew? You know why they don't chew? Because ain't nobody got time for chewing when you're trying to lead. We got things to do. We are task-oriented extroverts. They have raw power. They have raw strength. And this fits Paul. Do you understand that Paul, even when he was Saul, was a lion? That when he was Saul, he was actively and boldly persecuting Christ and Christians. When he became Paul, he was actively and, and, and boldly Proclaiming Christ and shaping Christians. He was still active 
and bold in what he was doing. And that is just a small testimony of the fact that God is always shaping you. Shaping you and who he wants you to be. See, there's a scene in Acts where Paul is preaching the gospel. And the guys there, the crowd there does not like it. They drag him out of the city. They stone him, basically crushing him with stones, beating him. He is left for dead. They all go back into the city. He wakes up and goes, oh. He walks back into the city and gets back busy preaching the gospel. Who does that? Seriously, who gets up after being nearly killed go back to do the same thing. A lion. A lion because there was a task at hand and he knew that task at hand was to share the gospel. Listen to the things that happened to him in his life. He records them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 through 31. He's talking about who God is making to be and how he stands up for this. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent the night and a day in open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil, hardships, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention the other things. There is a daily pressure on me, concern for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation. If boasting is necessary, I'll boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. Now, let me ask you a question. What excuses do you have for not serving? What excuses do you have for not being used by God in your workplace or in your school place or in your home or in your church? That's a question we have to answer. It's an easy question for a lion to ask, being the fact I'm high in lion. Because when our personalities don't exactly mesh, because I know the golden retriever's going to look at that and be like, I would never go through all of that. A beaver would be like, well, I would do it behind the scenes, but I would never talk about it. An otter would be like, I'm just having fun. It's all good. You know, there's all of these different responses, but how does it seem to cross paths? Because for Paul, nothing would stop him. Are you a lion like Paul? And the real question is, what does all this mean and why is it important? What does all this mean and why is it important? How can I be effective inside the church and outside the church? How can I serve God, love God, and serve others? And is there anything I should be concerned with with my personality and how it's going to interact or not interact with the people around me? That's why I invited up the golden retriever, Keith. Uh, is this, this working? Good. I've been brought uh, my golden retriever mug that was given to me in the last church I pastored in California because um, that was clearly true. Matt is the otter lion, and I am the golden retriever beaver. So when he said we are 180 off, he was exactly right. Now let me give you an illustration of that. When we were talking about this, we, we, we met together and we talked, and I said, when I preach, if I have more than four pages, I'm going to go longer than the required time. So Matt just covered six pages in that many minutes, and I've got three pages to cover the rest, so it just we're just really opposite. So the question that we're asking, you know, what, what difference does our personalities make in the church? So I'm going to expand that just a little bit because this impacts how you, and Matt already alluded to this, how you function in the workplace, how you function in marriages. Because we're different people, we have to learn how to work together. Um, Scott's going to throw, or uh, Jerome's going to throw a verse of Scripture up there. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to talk about it in light of a devotion of Max Lucado. Anybody read any Max Lucado de devotions? Okay. He is probably the most preeminent um, um, poetic devotional readers I've ever met. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Uh, he, he looked at this text, a very uh, popular text, especially uh, some of the ladies or some Several people went up to Santa Fe 
because they had a pro-life rally at the Capitol yesterday and, and uh, or Friday, and Helen went to that. And um, uh, um, I don't know why I changed that rabbit. Oh, uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made is one of those really strong pro-life um, verses of Scripture talking about the uniqueness and the importance of, of children in the womb. So this verse is going to be up there. You could look at that verse and listen as I read from Max Lucado. Now let me, here's how he starts out his devotion. Ex, uh, uh, suplunk these verses with me. Suplunk or suplunking is going caving. And when I first read that in the devotion, I thought, what in the world are you trying to say? You know, I, in, a, in a million years, I would have never started a sentence by that. But when I looked it up in the thesaurus, it really means to explore in this context. So I'll just use my words instead of his word. Explore these verses with me. He said, David emphasized the pronoun you as to say, you, God, and you alone. So our uniqueness, as Matt already emphasized, is really an act of a creative God in all of our lives. God took you into his hidden chamber chamber where he intricately woven us. So sometimes, again, we think uh, uh, we might just be the accident of evolution. And Scripture says, and Max Licato says, that is absolutely false. Everything about us is the result of a creative God making us exactly how he wanted us to be. He goes on to say this word, uh, this you, translated intricately woven, is the same word that Moses used when he described the needlework on the inner curtains of the tabernacle. And if you read that out of the book of Exodus, all the pomegranate designs and all that was going on there, that is the word that um, the, the writer here says in Psalms. He goes on to say, it means that we were skillfully stitched together, as Matt pointed out, for his highest purpose. Again, in his poetic way, he said, the master weaver selected your temperament threads, your character texture, the yarn of your personality, all of you, all about you that was born, what motivates you, what exhausts you, God authored it and continues to author it in our lives. Uh, in a sermon um, Matt Stoll, talking about shape, uh, gave an illustration of how shape works in the midst of the church, and he used the illustration of the ministry of hospitality, of, of making people feel welcome. And he, he uh, talked about it in this way. In the, in the ministry of, uh, of hospitality, how can all of these personality styles work together? And he says, if you're an otter, you want to touch as many people's lives as possible. So your, your perfect kind of role in hospitality would be a greeter. You know, I, I think of Steve and other people that uh, make intentional efforts to talk to somebody and make them feel welcome. He talked about what a lion would do. He would be meticulously involved in making sure that the whole ministry got done, that everyone's assignment, everyone's role, that it was organized in such a way that there was no, nothing slipped through the cracks. The beaver would make sure that every visitor, every guest filled out a guest card, making sure that there was uh, the ability to do follow-up. And then the golden retriever would be the one who would take those guest cards and make sure there's either a phone call or a visit or a letter, something to follow up to make sure that person know that their attendance in church was important. All four personalities working with the same heart that we talked about last week on making people feel welcome. As Matt already alluded to, however, our tendency is to think in a certain way based on our personality. And if someone thinks or behaves differently, there's sometimes a rub in that. Now let me illustrate that with a verse of Scripture. Acts 4, verses 36 and 37 says, 
Joseph, a Levite from Cypri of Cyprian birth, what, uh, the apostles called him Barnabas, which translated son of encouragement. Matter of fact, his nickname became so associated with him that the only time you hear the word Joseph is here. But that was his name. His nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He said, his, the scripture says, he sold a field, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is interaction time. What spiritual gifts do you think that Joseph or Barnabas had? Silence is not golden. The time is ticking. I have five minutes. What, in, what spiritual gift? He definitely has the gift of encouragement. He's nicknamed the, the encourager, the son of encouragement. What other spiritual gift do you think he might have? Possibly hospitality. Giving is the other one. Obviously, he saw a need. He had the resources to do it. He didn't second guess about his future financially. He just said, I have the ability to resource the needs. And if you remember the context, a lot of people had come into Jerusalem for the Passover and for Pentecost and all, all, all those things. And they got saved specifically after Pentecost. And they didn't go back home, didn't have houses, didn't have resources, and uh, Barnabas had the resources. What personality do you think he might have? What? He was definitely a golden retriever. Okay? Every one of us have those kinds of, of spiritual giftedness and personalities. So I'm going to take Barnabas, the son of encourager, and I'm going to fast forward in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 15. Here's what the scripture says. After some time, Paul and Barnabas, they'd already gone on their first missionary tour. They'd come back to Antioch. They needed to go up to Jerusalem because there's a controversy about what happens with Jewish believers and Gentile believers. What is essential? What is non-essential? They had that discussion in the earlier part, and now Paul says, let's go back and make sure that the work that we've done, the lion in him, is still strong and steady. Barnabas said, as the encourager, absolutely, okay? So, let's go back to the visit each city where we had previously preached the word of the Lord to see the new, how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. John Mark had gone on the first missionary journey, discovered this is harder than I thought, and about halfway through, headed back home, okay? Paul disagreed strongly. What was Paul? What did pastor say? He was a lion. Let that sniffly little whiny boy stay at home. We got work to do. I don't have time to babysit. Now, that's a Williams paraphrase or interpretation, but I don't think it's too far off, okay? Again, since John Mark had deserted them and Paphilia had not continued them with them in the work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Remember, he's from Cyprus. So... Here the lion, who doesn't have time to babysit, and the golden retriever who says there is redemption still available to John Mark. Two different people. And what happens is that many times our personalities, if they are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, if they're not tempered, by truth and the word of God, it could go off and it could cause division. How do I know that Barnabas and Paul were Baptist? Because there was division. The joke in Baptist circles, and I, I was born into a Baptist family, is where two or three Baptists come together, there's at least four or five different opinions. We are not exempt from that today. 
Again, we talk about personalities. Why? Because they're part of who we are. Psychology comes from the merging of two biblical words, the psyche, the soul, and the study of the soul. Again, as Matt pointed out, you, you cannot find the topic in any systematic theology book about personalities. But you just read the scripture and the reality of personalities jump, you know, and hit you right in the face. And the interaction of those personalities in the midst of the church is important. It's important for that we look at them. Again, Matt is literally true. I was pastoring before he was born because my first son and Matt are the same age. And uh, it was in our first church that our, first son, our oldest son was born. And my whole life, partly because of my calling, partly because of my temperament, is to look at the human dynamics in the midst of the church. I almost, almost got an extra uh, advanced degree in biblical counseling because I, I knew how important that was in the midst of having healthy churches. I ended up doing another degree. But uh, studies have shown that 80%, sometimes higher, of all conflicts in the church come because of personality differences. So uh, the scripture talks about that in a, in a deeper way. It talks about our natural man and our spiritual man. So when we want to deal with that issue, we, that's the, the direction we're going to look at. We're going to look at this uh, uh, thing again just for a second because it's now 10.01. In terms of conflict, the lion and the golden retriever have the, the greatest level of conflict. They're, they're completely opposite. Now, where Matt and I get together is that he, he's got some otter in him, which is people-oriented, and I am uh, golden retriever people-oriented. If Matt was uh, uh, a lion and a beaver, probably we wouldn't get along as good as we do in our natural man. You look at that in, again in marriage. Those are real dynamics. The, uh, the beaver and the otter are, in terms of human reaction, the ones that have the greatest potential for conflict. But all of that, you, you, look, at, you look at, again, Scripture, all of that, when baptized in the name of Christ, under the lordship of Christ, and in the working of the Holy Spirit, those begin to be complementary personalities, not contradictory or conflict personalities. And we just read in Acts that, again, Paul is just as human as anyone else. And at this particular point in time, he had no patience for John Mark to babysit him. But you fast forward into one of the other letters that he wrote, and he tells Timothy, Timothy, make sure you bring John Mark with you because he is important to me. As Paul matured, John Mark matured, Paul saw the difference in who he was, and he now he realized that John Mark would complement what he needed to do. He was lacking in something. That's when real maturity comes. So when I look at Pastor Matt with his lion and his otter, that is not a threat to me that, again, I've been doing this long enough, I've got a little bit over my personal ego. That becomes an understanding that's a complement to be able to do the work of ministry in a better way. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to uh, just read one verse of Scripture, and then we're going to fast forward. But here's, here's what the Scripture says about conflict and personality. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I could not talk to you as I would spiritual people. You hear that? There's a church, but a fleshly, carnal church. The Spirit of God had not penetrated all of their personality, all their behavior. And Paul says, I wish I could talk to you at one level, but I can't. 
I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or though you were infants in the Christian life. So here's the warning. If I find myself lashing out based upon my personality or wanting certain things based upon my personality, that's probably an indication that your walk with the Lord is not the level that he wants it to be for you. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. You quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature and aren't living and aren't you like people living in the world? It's not just an academic thing. It's not a a theoretical thing. When there's conflict in the church or when the church is not living out at the level of impacting the world in a way that brings honor and glory to God, there's a spiritual problem, not just a personality problem. The Spirit of God can take your natural man and transform it into a better man or woman. How do you do that? This is not in the slides, um, but it's the word hope. If you want to write that on your paper, the word hope. It's a simplification of the 12-step program, okay? H stands for being honest. You have to be honest with yourself, honest with God, and honest with at least one other person who is you could be accountable to. Be honest. That's the beginning of hope. Second is observe. What does the Bible say, and how am I, be, how am I practicing that? Going down the street the other day, coming from Home Depot back home, I saw a sign that said 55. I observed that. Okay? Good news is this time I observed the 55 speed limit. When the Word of God comes into your life, the Holy Spirit will give you power to put into practice what it says. Different than the 12-step program, even though it's got hints of spirituality, hope, you're honest, and then when you see what God says, the Spirit will give you ability to put it into practice. The P is persevere. I don't know very many people that once they become aware of their sin, especially if it's been a habit, especially when it's ingrained so deeply in their personality, that there is a 180-degree permanent recovery. We all have a tendency to slip. But perseverance is the work of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, let's pick us up, yourself up. I will help you keep on going. And then the E stands for encouragement. I think in the body of the church, that's the most important thing. The golden retriever would say that, wouldn't it? I could say to J.D., I understand because I've been there. That's what encouragement is, walking alongside other people and helping them. And Jerome's going to put up Romans 5.8. It'll be in the background. I'm, I'm not going to read it. But it talks about how we are a new person in Christ. Gallup did a survey not too long ago that said 10% of all active church members are involved in some kind of ministry within their church. Hear that? Across denominational lines, not just Baptists, only 10% of people who are active in the church, in their local church, only 10% of them are active in some ministry through that church. And in that survey, he sa- they said, and 50% of the people that they surveyed don't want to be involved in any ministry in the church. Just want to go along for the ride. So here's the challenge, as Matt said, to try to make it practical. That's why we're giving you an opportunity to look at your spiritual gifts, to look at where your heart is, what your personality type is, and then abilities and experiences. Just think for a moment. If, and I don't know the number in our church. I know plenty of people who are wearing multiple hats, but I don't know the number of people who are involved in some kind of ministry of the church to reach either to strengthen the members of the church or to reach out in the community. But let's just say for argument's sake 
if we are a 10% average church. Of all the people who are members or regular attenders, only 10% are doing something in Christian ministry. That says two things. One is the lordship of Christ is not predominant in their life. Because we, as I started out with spiritual gifts, lordship and spiritual gifts go hand in hand. God gave you a gift for the work of ministry. If you're not doing that, it's an issue of lordship. Second thing is, just for argument's sake, what if that number went from 10% to 20%? We would double the influence within the body of Christ to build it up, to strengthen it. And we would double the impact in our community. And just think for a moment, every church, if that average is 10% and they went to 20%, what that would do in their communities, what that would do in America. I hear plenty of people talking about the decline of spiritual, uh, biblical values in America. And the only people that we could blame for that is the church. Because we are coming more and more like the community rather than being salt and light in it. And if every church would double the number of people involved in ministry to strengthen the body and touch the community, I believe with all my heart they would literally be revival in our country. What difference does it make? It can make literally the eternal difference in someone's life if we will be obedient and let the Holy Spirit transform us through the using of our spiritual gifts, the, the focusing of our heart, and then the refining of our personality. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for your word, how real and practical it is. Help us not to get so theologically and academically minded that we forget that we are to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. This Lord, whoever needs to make a decision today, help them make it today. Not just to think about it, but to do it. So that, Lord, we could see you accomplish your purposes for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.